0: As a revenue operator, one of the big things we have to do is we have to be engaging across sales, marketing, CS. We have to be creating collaborative models. We have to be breaking down the silos in between those things, and you're going to get resistance. And it's so easy when you're a shop of one or two.
1: Welcome to Hidden in Plain Sight, the enterprise revenue intelligence podcast for revenue leaders in, yes, sales marketing, and customer success. Because we all share the same goal, revenue growth, always more, always faster. We learn how to drive revenue as we examine real life insights from multiple angles with human flavor since people buy from people. I am your host, Mariana Kogan, CMO and winner of the Forrester Marketing Program of the Year, and I will be joined by Art Harding, Season Revenue Leader. Hello and welcome to Hidden in Plain Sight. In this episode, we will be discussing a very timely data point. According to People AI, on average, 60 to 70% of accounts within a territory have little to no engagement. And who better to help us identify actionable insights than my new friend, James MacArthur, who is the CEO at Crow. And welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Let's get the ball rolling. Because we have only 15 minutes to make this as practical and actionable as possible. James, prior to working at Crow, was a vice president of revenue at Compete, and he's also a member of Wizards of Ops and Rev Genius. So, James, tell us about your journey and Crow so the audience can understand better where your comments are coming from.
0: Yeah, so my journey starts, and I'm going to, I'll keep this short, I promise, but my journey starts way back in 2008, 2009 when I decided I wanted to be a financial advisor. And as we all remember, 2008, 2009 was a great time to go into the finance world. And so I spent two years working at UBS. In that time, I got to see the world fall down, fall around, and fall apart around me. And so from there, I was like, you know, not going to do this anymore. I was a junior level, entry level person going up against PhDs for jobs. And I was... So I went and I started a restaurant with my family. Ran that for three years. At a certain point, realized that making $1,500 a month working 120 hours a week was not sustainable. And when I was locked in on over Sandy, which was 10 days inside, which now in retrospect wasn't that bad. I uh, went and actually got my founder job at MakerBot. From there, that was my first foray into tech. Started out in inside sales and also started out with Salesforce. This was 2012. And one person <laughs> who you should talk to, but who can also point to how terrible I was at Salesforce back then, is uh, Ping Jay, who was my first true revenue operator that I met. And she got there, looked at the system, was like, ooh, this, you're not good at this. So over the course of the next three years, I stayed somewhat in the loop on that side, but did a bunch of different sales things. And then finally left MakerBot and said, I'm going to go start working at a lot of, I, I was bit by the startup bug. I was bit by the technology bug. And I had to go work at a bunch of early stage companies. So from there, went and joined a bunch of different startups of all different types. So like a smart remote company, a crypto VR company, all those different things. Every time I went to one of these companies, I'd be like, what's your CRM? I'd be the head of sales, director of sales, whatever the inflated title that they gave me with the three-person startup was. And, and every time they'd be like, okay, I'd be like, what's your CRM? And they would say, I, what's the CRM? And so then I'd have to build it again and again and again. And so when the crypto VR startup I was with in 2018 shut down because, of course, it did, I ended up going and becoming a consultant at GoNimbly, where I was able to work across some of the largest companies in our space, PagerDuty, Twilio, Coursera, Plaid. Everyone were seeing revenue operations both at early stage and fully at scale. And then from there, took over the reins at LeafLink. I was their first revenue operator hire, built out a team of eight that encompassed, we were actually able to encompass true revenue operations and then left for Compete, where I was hired as the director of revenue operations. A month later, promoted to VP of revenue operations, and then they shut down much of their sales operations. And when you're not selling, you don't need you don't need a VP of revenue. So I moved over and took the time to start Crow.
1: Tell me all about Crow. And I know initially I was gonna pronounce it incorrectly, so I'm glad that you helped me here. Tell the listeners about what is it that you're looking to build? You got all this experience in revenue operations. What is that you're doing these days?
0: So Crow and the reason why she's gonna pronounce it wrong is it's spelled C-R-O-O, but pronounced Crow. But Pro is the combination of a few things. So as you mentioned at the top, I'm a part of Wizards of Ops. Wizards of Ops, for those that don't know, is a revenue operations community on Slack. Um, anyone who wants to join, ping me or ping Brad Smith from Sonar. And the reality is we, over the course of the last three years during the pandemic, it was the only socialization many of us had. Every week, we'd get on and talk for three hours three hours every week, talking about revenue operations, best practices, all of that, all of that. And over the course of that time, we started this kind of idea coalesced, which is the idea of Crow, which is right now, revenue operations and is a mess. And large systems are a mess as a whole. Like You have all of these different systems that don't communicate, don't talk to each other. You have revenue operators who are dealing with 20, 30, 40 different systems at a time. And it means that to the point of this podcast, Hidden in Plain Sight, there's so much that's hidden in plain sight, i.e. the base statistics that people need, that we decided that instead of going out and continuing to feed a system that's continuing to put like broken point solutions in the market, we were going to actually build A platform or a revenue operations platform that we would want. So combined, my team of four co-founders have over 60 years of experience in the space, and we're going to build the revenue operations system we wish we had, but as software, so that there's no more hopping system to system for reps, no more confusion, no more trying to hunt down data, and no more of the kind of befuddlement at the executive level as to, okay, what are our sales reps actually doing? What is our CS team? How's our CS team actually approaching expansion? All of those questions we're going to answer through this platform and through the connections we are going to make using tools like People AI.
1: And you're touching on something that is kind of interesting. I always tend to call these It's almost like the collateral damage of success, especially when you get into the larger organizations. There have been acquisitions, so you end up with multiple versions of SFDC or there's different tools that were acquired in different countries in different languages and all that. It's something that is nice to have had happen because it shows that you've been growing and therefore you had the, the capacity, but it doesn't quite mean that what got you here is gonna be what is gonna take you there. So I'm glad that you are helping with this platform of the future because at the end of the day, it's as you say, choosing what are the right pieces that come together to deliver grow that now with the way the economy is. It's so important that we really need to get into the right data, otherwise it's going to be hard to deliver the results. But going back to a little bit of our data point of this episode, where we're talking about territories, it is one of the main things that Revenue Operations gets involved with, that designing the territory. And you want to maximize how you design it. You don't want to have it too few accounts, too many accounts. And one of the things that the data is starting to show us is that a lot of the accounts go and touch. Are you seeing it? Give us your ideas.
0: Yeah. So there are kind of three problems that feed into that. One is a lot of times when companies do territory mapping, they literally do it as a map. And what you end up with is you can have, for example, a company I worked with, they had 1,100 accounts in their Western region. They had 900 accounts in their Midwest, but those 900 accounts generated infinitely more revenue than the accounts in the Western District. They held those two in the same light. That was, they were saying these two should generate the same amount of revenue. They should generate the same amount of everything, despite the fact there were product differences region to region. There were customer differences that made one region significantly more profitable than the other. And So what ends up happening is a lot of times companies will take this kind of blank slate approach and not take a very data-driven, very specific dive into each of these territories and really ends up pigeonholing some of their reps versus others, and meaning that some of their reps are forced to work very low-value accounts versus other reps who are given a bunch of whales and then a few low-level accounts. And they're only focusing on the whales. So, kind of the two ways that I would solve this is A, more intelligent territory mapping, and B, actually taking a look at the compensation plans. Take a look at those metrics, the way you're measuring definition of done for your reps, the way you're compensating them on success. Because the reality is, if your reps are incentivized towards revenue or net revenue retention, and they're given 1,100 accounts. And 10% of those accounts generate 80% of the revenue in that territory. And I know I'm spitting out numbers like crazy. But where are they going to focus their time? Only on those top accounts. So what ends up happening is you end up with either a lot of noisy accounts that eat up your reps' time, or you end up with your reps cherry-picking the accounts they know will help them hit their number and ignoring the rest. And so part a big reason why we have these engagement rates is not necessarily like there's a lot that goes into platform visibility. There's a lot that goes into data architecture and all of that. But the reality is a lot of it is that incentives are misaligned to the fact that the reps just need to touch every account. They need to be building these relationships. And there's also the final piece of this is there's also a technical aspect here, which is... If you don't have if you're in that kind of system where you're expecting one rep to manage a huge book of business and you don't have the technological infrastructure to actually support that like you don't have long term nurtures you don't have the build out of kind of ways to keep people in sync and make sure that every single one of your accounts is getting touched at a right reasonable cadence, then you're putting a lot on your reps and you're likely gonna burn them out so There are a lot of aspects to this and there are a lot of pieces, which is why this is a really complex problem that nobody's really solved.
1: So let's just stay a little bit longer on that third point that you mentioned, because as you say, it's a technology that is going to allow for much more to happen, but it's also that alignment between marketing and sales. Mm -hmm. Because there will be some accounts that maybe there's not the right timing for your sales force to be really emphasizing is when you need to be working together with marketing. How do you recommend people in this space to build that partnership so that you can really accomplish more than almost like a one plus one equals three by the whole revenue team working together?
0: Yeah, so it's largely going to be, again, talking to incentives. So like aligning marketing and sales incentives is a great way to get them to A, work together as a first step. But then the second step is building true data governance model. I talk a lot about data governance and every single time I talk about it, it's what does that mean to me? And what I mean by data governance is you define everything collaboratively as an organization. You define an MQL step. You define what is intent, what is low intent, what is high intent, exactly how are those scored. This is a very much eating your vegetables activity where it is you are spending hours in a room talking about the definitions of words. But then at the end of that, what you can end up doing is going out and setting true accountability measures for everyone across the org. Now, the back end of that is you then need to have the infrastructure to be able to model intent, to be able to model what is someone truly saying, I'm ready to buy. There are a lot of tools out there that can do it. And everyone has their own measure. But the important thing is like establishing a true model, a true architecture that will allow you to really pinpoint a customer saying, or me going into your organization, and I fill out a form. And it's like, I am either a fit or I am not. You're going to get a lot of form fills that aren't. And it's being able to say, this person is truly interested in buying because of X, Y, Z. Their company just raised $3 million. They've been in their job for 30 days. Most research shows that money is spent within the first 90 days of the executive being hired. And they visited our site 25 times and have read through all of these different blog pieces. And it's like, this is someone who's very, very interested in what you're doing as a company. And being the first to reach out to them is going to help you secure that business. So intent modeling is a big piece of this. And that's all in partnership with marketing and sales.
1: So these are some great insights that you're providing us. You're a a veteran of the uh, the space. What would you recommend to our listeners to do to continue developing their, their careers? Or what are some mistakes that you have made that people always love learning from?
0: So there are two things you can really do to help your career. One, data fluency. I talked about this at Salesforce BA Summit last week, which is like, if you're not data fluent, and you're in revenue operations, in the coming decade, it will become harder and harder for you to succeed in the space because it is shifting from, as we talked about, 20, 30, 40 systems. It is becoming harder and harder to manage that tech stack. It is becoming harder and harder to find insights across all of those different legacy systems. So first, make sure you know where all of your data comes from. Mistakes I've made, Not establishing governance early, not managing the communication across the org. not As a revenue operator, one of the big things we have to do is we have to be engaging across sales, marketing, CS. We have to be creating collaborative models. We have to be breaking down the silos in between those things. And you're going to get resistance. And it's so easy when you're a shop of one or two to go, Oh, this person's a pain in the ass. I'm not going to touch them for another... Until I'm done with this thing. Well, that thing's never going to... like Most of our projects get iterated on. And very rarely do you have a project. You get done with it. You hand it off and go, whoop, never have to think about that again. And so what ends up happening is, in mistakes I made in the past is, you don't push back on the thing. It takes you two months to solve the problem you weren't pushing back because you were going to solve this problem first. At which point that person has gone off and codified some other solution. And now you've got a whole other problem you have to deal with. So it's making sure that you control in a good way the area surrounding you and your model. Know when to push back, know when not to. Because the biggest mistakes we can make as revenue operators is not having an eye on the strategy behind all of this, which is we're uniting the tech stack, we're building transparency, accountability. It's heat, light, and attention on all of the dark places within the org. And if you're not engaging your stakeholders on a regular basis, they're going to build their own dark places within the org. And then it's going to become harder and harder for you to get that heat, light, and attention where it needs to be. And nobody wants to be seven months into their tenure and have an executive, have the CEO come down to them and be like, Hey, what's going on in this side of the business? And you go, I don't know. I wasn't involved. It's not a good look for you. It's not a good look for them. So like from a mistake standpoint, I think a big piece is never take your eye off the long game and the ball from a strategy perspective. If you don't understand every single dollar that's coming into your org, that should be a highlighted problem for you that you need to go and solve.
1: I think you're spot on on saying that you need to understand the strategy. And I think that applies to almost every single role in an organization. It can never be just what you've been hired to do, that portion, but it's really how does that portion play into that bigger strategy? As usual, we're running out of time, but thank you very much for joining us. Let me just finish, as I always do, with a summary of the recommendations, because you mentioned so many interesting things that are going to be great for our listeners. But if I could summarize it, you mentioned that, number one, when it comes to that territory mapping really going to an intelligent territory mapping. By now, that geographical component, it's really not data-driven, and especially that it's really the right account because not all the accounts are the same. Secondly, you spoke about these compensation incentives. It really needs to be in alignment. And finally, that I fully, fully agree with you, is this true data governance because at the end of the day, it's the data that is going to make you to the right decisions. It's going to help you to identify all these different gaps. So, James, thank you very much for joining us. And thank you to all the audience for joining us as well. Please comment on LinkedIn. Thank you. Hidden in Plain Sight, the Enterprise Revenue Intelligence Podcast, is brought to you by People I. Make sure to search for Hidden in Plain Sight in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcast or anywhere else you listen to your podcast. Be sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at AI, thanks a lot for listening.